Welcome to the Huberman Lab podcast, where we discuss science and science-based tools for everyday life. I'm Andrew Huberman, and I'm a professor of neurobiology and ophthalmology at Stanford School of Medicine. Today is an Ask Me Anything, or AMA, episode, which is part of our premium subscriber content. Our premium channel was launched in order to raise support for the standard Huberman Lab podcast channel, which still comes out once a week, every Monday, and of course is zero cost to consumer. The premium channel is also designed to support exciting research being done at major universities like Stanford and elsewhere, research that's done on humans that should lead to protocols for mental health, physical health, and performance in the near future. If you'd like to check out the premium channel subscription model, you can go to hubermanlab.com slash premium, and there you can subscribe for $10 a month or $100 a year. We also have a lifetime subscriber option. For those of you that are already Huberman Lab podcast premium subscribers, and you're watching and or hearing this, please go to hubermanlab.com slash premium and download the premium podcast feed. And for those of you that are not already Huberman Lab Premium Podcast subscribers, you will be able to hear the first 15 minutes or so of this episode, and hopefully that will allow you to discern whether or not you would like to become a premium subscriber. Without further ado, let's get to answering your questions. And as always, I will strive to be as accurate as possible, as thorough as possible, and yet as concise as possible. The first question today is about adaptogens. Some of you may have heard of adaptogens. I'm guessing many of you have not heard of adaptogens. The strict definition of adaptogens is still evolving, meaning no one really knows what adaptogens mean and what's included in adaptogens and what's excluded from adaptogens. But the most common definition of an adaptogen is a compound that is typically a supplement or a drug, although it could be a behavior if you really think about it, that helps you adapt to and buffer stress. So when you hear about adaptogens, there are three main categories of adaptogens that come to mind. The first are things that are contained in food. So these would be vitamins or micronutrients that one could easily find in food, but one would have to consume a fairly restricted number or type of foods in order to obtain those things or consume a lot of those foods in order to get sufficient dosages of those adaptogen compounds in order to buffer stress. Some good examples of these would be any kind of vitamin, either water-soluble or fat-soluble, that can adjust or reduce what are so-called reactive oxygen species. And then that's what gives rise to this idea that antioxidants are good for us. Now, over the last 10 years or so, there's been a shift. What shift has occurred? Well, about 10 years ago, you often heard about antioxidants, antioxidants, antioxidants and vitamins, antioxidants in this food, this superfood, et cetera. And why were people talking about antioxidants? Well, just to remind you, reactive oxygen species are types of reactions and molecules that occur in cells when cells get stressed and or age, and antioxidants are the compounds that reduce those reactive oxygen species. Reactive oxygen species are bad for cells because they tend to hinder the function of mitochondria, which are associated with energy production in those cells. So what do we know for sure? We know that as cells get older or as any cell or biological system, organ, tissue, et cetera, gets stressed a lot over time, the number of reactive oxygen species increases in those cells and tissues and organs. And antioxidants, which can include certain vitamins, but also some micronutrients, are effective in reducing those reactive oxygen species. Now, what's occurred over the last 10 years is that we know that reactive oxygen species are a major source of depleting cellular function by way of depleting mitochondrial function, but they are 
just one of many mechanisms that can deplete cellular function, mitochondrial function. So nowadays you'll hear about reactive oxygen species and antioxidants, but not as much as you used to. Now you hear a lot more about inflammatory responses and inflammatory cytokines also being an issue. And the truth is all of these things are an issue. So going back to this question about adaptogens, Adaptogens include these three categories. I've told you the first, which are the vitamins and micronutrients that are contained in food that can reduce reactive oxygen species and other aspects of cellular stress, such as inflammatory cytokines. What are some of those things that occur in foods? Well, in order to answer that, let's just think about what sorts of foods themselves can act as adaptogens. It's commonly held that the dark leafy greens type foods for those of you that eat plants, and I think the majority of people out there do eat plants. I know that the carnivore diet and lion diet and um, some other diets tend to exclude plants. And we'll address that in, in briefly at some point um, in today's discussion. But dark leafy greens are known to contain a number of compounds in the form of vitamins and micronutrients that are very effective in reducing reactive oxygen species and inflammatory cytokines. So if you're somebody who's interested in adaptogens and adaptogenic processes, reducing stress and buffering stress, which of course has its role in buffering daily stress in order to help you sleep better, to improve cellular function for longevity, sports performance, cognitive performance, that is all good. And it makes sense why people would be interested in adaptogens. But remember that the two main adaptogens that you should think to first are going to be behaviors and nutrition. I've started with nutrition on purpose. As I mentioned, we'll get to behaviors in a moment. So if you're interested in adaptogens at all, I highly recommend that you include at least two to four servings of dark leafy greens and or cruciferous vegetables per day. I think that'd be highly advantageous. And just be aware that excessively heating dark leafy greens or cruciferous vegetables can actually destroy the very nutrients and micronutrients that act in an adaptogenic way. That does not mean that you need to eat raw broccoli or cauliflower. Just the thought of that makes me nauseous. It's very hard to digest. Some people might like that or can digest it uh, more easily than others. So it's perfectly fine to cook your cruciferous vegetables and dark leafy greens, but you don't want to overcook them. What's overcooking and what's uh, undercooking? There's uh, no strict cutoff in terms of temperature, but basically what the literature says is that if you heat vegetables to the point where the colored fluid is leaching out of them, into a broth type, um, you know, into water or, the, or whatever fluid surrounds them, well, then you would be well off to ingest that fluid as well because contained in the, the water or the fluid that's leaching out from the cruciferous vegetables or from the dark leafy greens are gonna be a lot of those very adaptogenic molecules that you're interested in in the first place. Okay, so I probably surprised some people by starting off my answer to the question of what are adaptogens? Are they worth thinking about and pursuing? And if so, how can I get them? By talking about food. But I think it is important to understand that you can get a lot of adaptogens from food. And indeed, some of the best adaptogens do come from dark leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. The other two categories of adaptogens are going to be supplement-based adaptogens and then behavioral adaptogens. Again, here, adaptogen defined as anything that can buffer stress in a substantial or meaningful way in order to support cellular health, organ health, and overall daily living and, and, and functioning, including sleep and performance and mental health. So the second category of adaptogen are going to be supplements. And here again, I just wanna take a step back, make sure that we are clear about our operational definition about what a supplement is. We had an episode all about how to design a rational guide to supplementation, which included 
For example, the idea that for some people, the optimal dosage of many supplements is going to be zero. And for other people, the dosage will be something else. But to really pinpoint the key message from that episode that I'd like to reiterate now, but, the key, but a key message from that episode that I'd like to reiterate now is that many people think of supplements as just vitamin supplements. And for that reason, you'll often hear the argument, oh, well, aren't supplements just expensive urine? Couldn't you get all of that from food? Aren't you just urinating out all the water-soluble vitamins and maybe even storing excess amounts of the fat-soluble vitamins in a way that's unhealthy or not cost-effective and so on? When we talk about supplements, yes, it can include vitamin supplements, However, there are many compounds that we would describe as supplements that are not vitamin supplements and that you could not obtain from food or that you could never obtain from food in sufficient enough qualities to have a robust positive biological effect without consuming an enormous number of calories or overriding your, your gut uh, mechanically. For instance, if there were, say, um, a herb, and we'll talk about such herbs in a moment, that contained an effective adaptogen but you would never want to eat the plant itself or include that herb in any kind of recipe, well then chances are this herb, which we'll define in a moment, is not a vitamin supplement. It is probably not even best thought of as a supplement. It's best thought of as a compound that's sold over the counter, much like a prescription drug, although it's not prescription. It doesn't require a prescription to get it. So there are a lot of things like that that we include under the umbrella of this word supplements. And unfortunately, because of that, a lot of people think, oh, you don't need supplements. And of course, you don't need supplements per se, but many people do derive tremendous benefit from them. In the context of adaptogens, there are two or three in particular that can be very beneficial for buffering the stress response, especially over short periods of time of about two to three weeks. So when would you use these? Well, for instance, if you are in a particularly stressful mode of life, either because of family or relational or school or work demands or new kid in the house or any number of different things, or you've been ill or you're recovering from injury, taking an adaptogen in the form of supplement can actually be very useful for buffering this hormone and the general systems it's associated with called cortisol. It's very healthy to have high levels of cortisol early in the day, shortly after you wake up, and then that ought to taper off toward the afternoon and evening. However, if cortisol is chronically elevated throughout the day, or if that peak in cortisol is arriving too late in the day, that is known to be associated with mental health and physical health issues. This has been shown by labs at Stanford and elsewhere. It's been shown in animal models and in humans talked many times before, and I'll just remind you again, that one of the best ways to restrict that cortisol peak to the early part of the day is to get morning sunlight in your eyes as soon as you can, once the sun is up, get outside, face in the direction of the sun, even on overcast days, don't wear sunglasses, look at it for five to 30 minutes, definitely blink so you don't damage your eyes, so on and so forth. Why five minutes or 30 minutes? Well, five minutes on a clear day should be sufficient. Longer would be fine. Again, blink so that you protect your eyes, blink as needed, face in the general direction of the sun. On days when you have a lot of overcast or it's really d dark, dense cloud cover, well, then you'd want to be outside longer. And if you don't have access to sunlight for whatever reason, then you want to do the same thing with bright artificial lights indoors, um, either so-called sad lamp or otherwise. That's a great way to restrict that cortisol peak to early in the day. But even if you're doing that, if you have a stressful life for whatever reason, even if you're getting that morning sunlight, which I hope you are, you're getting your exercise, you're trying to sleep better um, and more as we all should most of the time, well, then you're, you may be somebody who wants to take a adaptogen in the form of a supplement. And the three supplements that can be very effective in buffering cortisol are ashwagandha, 
which I'll talk about first, lion's mane and chaga. Lion's mane and chaga are in the uh, fungi uh, group. So they count as mushrooms. They are not psychedelic mushrooms. Let's talk about ashwagandha first. Ashwagandha is at the top of the list because it is indeed a very potent adaptogen. How can I say that? Well, there are a number of studies now, including uh, several excellent ones in humans that report that taking two doses of 300 milligrams of ashwagandha per day can very dramatically buffer cortisol. So this is something that you would have a near impossible time accessing from food. I can't imagine that unless you're cooking with the very sources of ashwagandha um, and extracting exact amounts that you'd be able to get this in any other form except uh, supplement form. So here I'm gonna just briefly reference a paper and we can provide a reference to the, a reference link to this that is. Um, this is a, a paper from 2012 that's had a lot of, of excellent follow-up papers that support it. The title of the paper is a prospective randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study of safety and efficacy of high concentration of full-spectrum extract of ashwagandha root in reducing stress and anxiety in adults. And it's a really nice study, not a huge subject pool, but both men and women, and it's carried out for long enough that they got to see some really interesting results. And the the um, I think that the most interesting result is that taking 300 milligrams of ashwagandha twice a day led to enormous, I mean, just enormous changes in serum cortisol. Um, the statistical significance uh, that they observed in the study was really um, fantastic, um, it, fantastically uh, high statistical significance. They saw the effects of ashwagandha on day 15, having initiated the the ashwagandha uh, consumption on, on day one, of course, day 30 and day 45. And again, this was dramatic reductions in stress as perceived by people. So subjective stress and cortisol levels. So ashwagandha is very potent at reducing cortisol. How would you recapitulate this if you wanted to use ashwagandha to buffer stress? Well, a couple of key points. I mentioned earlier that you want your cortisol peak to come earlier in the day. Therefore, you would not want to buffer cortisol early in the day. In fact, cortisol peaking early in the day provides an anti-inflammatory, immune-supporting, focus and mood-supporting effect all day long. So I would recommend that people take their first dose of ashwagandha of anywhere from 250 to 300 milligrams sometime in the early afternoon and then again in the evening as opposed to taking a morning dose and an afternoon dose. Also, if you're somebody who's exercising for sake of trying to induce adaptations like hypertrophy, the growth of muscles or strength or improve your endurance in any way, muscular endurance or more traditional cardiovascular endurance, then I recommend that you not take your ashwagandha prior to exercise because part of the adaptation response is triggered by increases in cortisol during exercise, sort of in the same way that some of the best adaptations to exercise are reductions in blood pressure and resting heart rate. And those are stimulated by increases in blood pressure and increases in heart rate during exercise. That's just how these biological systems work. So the takeaway is pretty simple. If you're interested in um, using ashwagandha as an adaptogen, I would restrict it to later in the day if you can and not before exercise. Divide it into two doses of 250 to 300 milligrams. Um, that's uh, what this paper and other papers like it um, seem to indicate. And then a very important final point about ashwagandha, which is that if you're going to take ashwagandha, I recommend not taking it for longer than a month and a half as they did in this study. In fact, I would suggest that you only take ashwagandha around periods of kind of moderate to extreme stress. What's moderate, what's extreme is going to depend on what you're going through. Only you know how much stress and life events you can tolerate. So if you've had trouble sleeping, 
and that's unusual for you, or you're dealing with a very difficult life circumstances or your excessive work demand or a new kid, as I mentioned before. Well, then buffering stress with ashwagandha, buffering cortisol in the afternoon and evening can be very beneficial for you. But then I would say after about um, 30 days maximum, I would take at least two to four weeks off. Two weeks is probably enough, but four weeks off because you don't want to chronically buffer cortisol. It's just not a good idea. But that said, I think ashwagandha is a very powerful adaptogen. I would place it at the top of the list of supplement-based adaptogens. But keep in mind that even if you're taking a supplement-based adaptogen, that's no reason to abandon the nutrition and behavioral type uh, adaptogenic effects that you can create through eating dark leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables. Then we'll talk about the behaviors in a moment. The other two supplement-based adaptogens, as I mentioned, are lion's mane mushroom and chaga. And um, I get asked a lot about lion's mane and chaga for sake of um, their purported roles in acting as nootropics, as quote-unquote smart drugs. There are fewer data on the beneficial roles of lion's mane and chaga for sake of um, nootropic effects. Um, We'll do an entire episode on nootropics at some point, but um, there have been a few studies showing that lion's mane supplementation and chaga supplementation can improve memory and maybe even divergent thinking associated with creativity and things of that sort. Again, these are not psychedelic mushrooms. Um, That said, there are good data showing that a thousand milligrams, that is one gram of lion's mane per day and or, okay, these, we'll talk about the and or portion in a moment, and or chaga mushroom at 500 to 1500 milligrams per day can act as adaptogens in, again, reducing cortisol, but also and mainly reducing some of the anti-inflammatory cytokines that are known to circulate in high abundance when you're under a lot of psychological and or physical stress, things like interleukin-6 and some related molecules. So here's what I would recommend. If you are um, interested in exploring adaptogens, I'm a big fan, as some of you probably know if you heard that uh, episode on Rational Guide to Supplementation, I'm a big fan of mainly focusing on taking supplements in single ingredient formulations so that you can figure out what dosages are best for you and so that you can toggle in and out those adaptogens as needed. So I, of course, am a fan of taking certain blends and mixes, the one that we talk about a lot on this podcast um, and we have been a sponsor from the beginning. I've taken for a decade now, long before I ever had a podcast, is Athletic Greens, which some of you might note does contain some ashwagandha, although the levels of ashwagandha that are contained in Athletic Greens are low enough that I don't see any issue with taking the um, Athletic Greens uh, consistently day to day, every day because you're not getting anywhere near that 600 milligram dosage. But the idea is that if you are going to take any adaptogen for sake of buffering stress over the short term, say for a week or two weeks or a month, and then taking that uh, recommended time off, I would start with ashwagandha. And then if you feel you need something else to buffer stress, keeping in mind, of course, that you're doing the behavioral and the nutritional things to buffer stress as well. You can never abandon those, right? Well, then I would suggest adding a thousand milligrams or a thousand milligrams of chaga per day and seeing how that further um, benefits your, your system in terms of buffering stress. How would you measure if your stress is being reduced? Well, you're going to be sleeping better at night. You're going to feel subjectively better, lower levels of anxiety, all the things that are measured in the types of studies I described before. Now, of course, there's nothing preventing you from taking 600 milligrams of ashwagandha, a gram of lion's mane, and a gram of chaga. I know some people like to just kind of go uh, full tilt into everything, but I am a big believer in really trying to isolate which supplements and molecules work best for you and which ones don't. 
Do you need to cycle on and off lion's mane and chaga? I'm not aware of any data showing that you do. If however, you're taking them every day, I recommend that you cycle off them after a period of 30 days or so. And I want to be very clear about this. Just because I said cycle off after a period of 30 days or so does not mean that you can't take them for a shorter period of time. So for instance, if you know that you're coming up on a big week of stress, well then you could take ashwagandha and or lion's mane and or chaga for that week or just that week or heading into that week or in the following week and then stop. There's no reason why you couldn't take them even just for one day. Although the, the effects tend to be a bit cumulative, at least when we're talking about um, buffering anxiety. In terms of buffering cortisol, that's a very potent effect that as far as we know is going to take place on day one. Again, keep that cortisol buffering effect away from exercise. At least don't take it before exercise and try and buffer your cortisol in the afternoon and evening. And this is assuming that you're working a conventional shift and you're not up all night and sleeping all day for sake of, of, of shift work. Okay, so hopefully that clarifies things about what adaptogens are. In fact, I never actually read the specific question, but I think I've touched on a number of, of issues that relate to the specific question. And then I'll answer the, the last portion of the answer to this question in a moment um, as it relates to behavioral tools uh, that can act as adaptogens. Uh, the question itself was, there's a lot of mixed information about out there about adaptogens like ashwagandha. And I think that relates to what I said earlier, which is that the definition of an adaptogen has not really been cemented um, in uh, various uh, communities. It's different in different communities and it's uh, generally um, used uh, as a matter of convenience rather than really strictly defining what it is. And hopefully we've defined it um, uh, accurately and, and broadly enough today as something that buffers stress. Um, the second part of the question was, what does the scientific evidence say about adaptogens and their ability to mediate body stress response? They say quite a lot and they they say that the stress response can be buffered substantially by certain adaptogens, mainly dark leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, uh, ashwagandha, lion's mane, and chaga, and of course, all the behavioral things that are critical that we'll list off in a moment. And then the third portion of the question is, is there any solid evidence that has an effect on neurotransmitters or the HPA, which is part of the um, stress modulation axis? The best evidence is that adaptogens can reduce cortisol itself. There is very little evidence that adaptogens can directly modulate neurotransmitters or neuromodulators like dopamine, serotonin, et cetera. But by adjusting the timing and levels of cortisol, especially in the afternoon and evening, that is going to have indirect effects on levels of dopamine, norepinephrine, et cetera, and serotonin, but not direct effects. So the general contour that makes for an ideal diurnal schedule. You heard of nocturnal. Well, the opposite is diurnal, being awake during the daytime and asleep at night. The ideal kind of landscape of neurotransmitters is higher levels of dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine in the early part of the day and cortisol, so-called catecholamines, dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine, and high levels of cortisol early in the day as directed by sunlight, exercise, caffeine, hydration, movement, all that stuff, being awake and busy and outside or indoors with bright lights and moving about in the early part of the day and into the early afternoon. That's the best possible way that we are aware of to try and get those catecholamines released at the highest levels in the early part of the day. And then the ideal contour of a 24-hour cycle will be in the later half of the day, the evening and nighttime, you have higher levels of things like serotonin, the GABAergic system, all the things that are somewhat sedative in preparing you for sleep and lower levels of the catecholamines and cortisol, as I described before. So to directly answer the question, is there any evidence that adaptogens can alter your neurotransmitters? Yes, but only indirectly. And yet 
that indirect control over neurotransmitters is substantial and is important. And if you do what I described, such as getting morning sunlight, and ideally you'd get a little bit of deliberate cold water exposure, by the way, to boost adrenaline and nor norepinephrine and dopamine, those catecholamines early in the day. So quick one minute cold shower even, or three minute cold shower, or if you have access to an ice bath early in the day, plus some sunlight, doesn't matter which one you do first, doing that early in the day is really going to create that peak of cortisol, dopamine, epinephrine early in the day. I can't emphasize how beneficial all of that can be. Um, and exercise if you can early in the day. Some people can't exercise till later in the day. I'd rather see people exercise later in the day than not at all, provided it does not disrupt their nighttime sleep, which of course, sleep is the foundation of mental health, physical health, and performance. So yes, there's modulation of neurotransmitters, but most of those are downstream of the effects on cortisol that we've been talking about. So we've defined nutritional adaptogens, supplement-based adaptogens, although I don't really like the word supplements anymore, unless we're talking about vitamin supplements for reasons we talked about earlier. And then there's the third category of adaptogens, which are the behavioral tools that you can use to buffer stress, which qualifies those as an adaptogen. And I think it's really important that we always keep in mind that yes, there are supplements. Yes, there are prescription drugs out there. In fact, there are prescription drugs that you can get from a doctor that will potently zero out your cortisol. But most doctors are very reluctant to prescribe those drugs because cortisol provides a very important and functional role early in the day behaviors are very effective at reducing cortisol. What are the most effective behaviors to reduce cortisol? Well, we talked about one, to restrict cortisol the early part of the day, which is viewing morning sunlight. But how would you buffer cortisol in the late afternoon? It's going to be all the things associated with reducing stress. For instance, 10 minutes or even my laboratory and other laboratories have shown is even five minutes a day of just what would be called mindfulness meditation. Very simple, you don't need to overcomplicate this. You could use a great app like the Waking Up app or another app of the sort, or you can simply sit down, eyes closed, breathe through your nose and just concentrate on your breathing. Every time your mind drifts to something else, bring it back to your breathing. That's shown to reduce stress. You could do a five minute deliberate breath work practice. My laboratory has published some work related to that. Um, the breath work practice could be any number of things. The two that I recommend the most would be double inhale, followed by a full exhale and then repeat for a period of five minutes, known to substantially reduce anxiety, stress, and the various physiological systems associated with arousal. You could also use box breathing, inhale, hold, exhale, hold for equal durations for a period of five minutes will substantially reduce stress. I'm a big fan, as many of you know, of yoga nidra, which involves no movement. It involves just lying there, listening to a script, lots of yoga nidra scripts available online. If you're not interested in the intentions and other things, including yoga nidra, you can buffer stress using an adaptogen like NSDR, non-sleep deep rest. If you're interested in trying these um, sorts of things, there's a, a NSDR protocol that's 10 minutes long. Just put my name, Huberman, and NSDR into the search browser on YouTube and Virtusan has provided an uh, NSDR that's completely zero cost and works very well for reducing stress. It will also help teach your system and teach you how to um, learn to fall asleep better at night. So any of those practices, five to 10 minute breathing practice or meditation or a uh, NSDR or yoga nidra, I mean, if you can do longer 20 or 30 minutes in the afternoon, that's known to buffer cortisol substantially as well. Anytime you're encountering stress in real time, I highly recommend a tool over and over because it's so effective. The fastest way we know to buffer stress and calm down is the so-called physiological sigh. Big inhale through the nose till your lungs are empty, but then sneak in a little bit more air by a second inhale, maximally inflate the lungs, then a long exhale until your lungs are empty. One to three of those will reduce your stress 
substantially. Over time, that should reduce, that is, buffer your cortisol acting as an adaptogen. There are a lot of things. You can take a hot bath, you can take a hot shower, you can listen to some pleasant music. You know, anything that reduces your stress technically is an adaptogen. So I hope I've thoroughly answered your question. By uh, yours, I mean, this. of course, this answer is going out to all of you. This is a question that was asked by Justine Bevelacqua. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Justine. Um, and thank you for that question. I think there are a lot of people interested in adaptogens. So now you know you can use nutrition, such as cruciferous vegetables, dark leafy greens, and I should also mention, if you're not ingesting enough calories each day, well, then you are going to be in a mild mode of stress. That's not to say that some people shouldn't take in fewer calories than they burn in order to lose weight. Some people really need to do that for their health or for whatever other reason. But if you restrict calories too much, you are going to increase cortisol output. So keep that in mind. So ingest sufficient calories for you and for your goals aim to get dark leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables. Don't overcook them. If you want to explore supplements, the best supplements to act as adaptogens are going to be ashwagandha, lion's mane, and chaga. One or two or three of those. Although if you're going to pick one, I'd recommend ashwagandha, 600 milligrams per day, taken in the later half of the day. And then there are the behavioral tools that we just talked about now, which are anything that reduces stress can reduce cortisol and in doing so are technically adaptogens. If you wanna know more behavioral tools and other tools for adjusting stress and learn more about adaptogens, we did a whole episode called Mastering Stress. So you can look to that. That episode also pretty clearly defines, I, I like to think, what short-term, medium-term, and long-term stress really are. Keep in mind, stress is part of life. Learning how to work with it, how to dance with it, how to buffer it is terrific, but zeroing out cortisol is not the goal. The goal is to learn to modulate and control your cortisol. And that's really what adaptogens are all about. Thank you for joining for the beginning of this Ask Me Anything episode. To hear the full episode and to hear future episodes of these Ask Me Anything sessions, plus to receive transcripts of them and transcripts of the Huberman Lab podcast standard channel and premium tools not released anywhere else, please go to hubermanlab.com slash premium. Just to remind you why we launched the Huberman Lab podcast premium channel, it's really twofold. First of all, it's to raise support for the standard Huberman Lab podcast channel, which of course will still be continued to be released every Monday in full length. We are not going to change the format or anything about the standard Huberman Lab podcast and to fund research, in particular research done on human beings. So not animal models, but on human beings, which I think we all agree is a species that we are most interested in. And we are going to specifically fund research that is aimed toward developing further protocols for mental health, physical health, and performance. And those protocols will be distributed through all channels, not just the premium channel, but through all channels, Huberman Lab podcast and other media channels. So the idea here is to give you information to your burning questions in depth and allow you the opportunity to support the kind of research that provides those kinds of answers in the first place. Now, an especially exciting feature of the premium channel is that the Tiny Foundation has generously offered to do a dollar for dollar match on all funds raised for research through the premium channel. So this is a terrific way that they're going to amplify whatever funds come in through the premium channel to further support research for science and science-related tools for mental health, physical health, and performance. If you'd like to sign up for the Huberman Lab premium channel, Again, there's a cost of $10 per month, or you can pay $100 up front for the entire year. That will give you access to all the AMAs. You can ask questions and get answers to your questions. And you'll, of course, get answers to all the questions that other people ask as well. There will also be some premium content, such as transcripts of the AMAs and various transcripts and protocols of Huberman Lab podcast episodes not found elsewhere. 
And again, you'll be supporting research for mental health, physical health, and performance. You can sign up for the premium channel by going to hubermanlab.com slash premium. Again, that's hubermanlab.com slash premium. And as always, thank you for your interest in science. 